Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Amen. And that song. I love it. I love it. It speaks to who we are as the people of God, really as people, uh, humanity in general was created for the purpose of worship. We were made to be worshipers. We worship every day, morning and evening, in the moments where you would think, I am not currently worshiping. Our hearts are always worshiping something. We were made to worship the one true God exclusively and with all that we do. But because of sin, when it entered the world and our hearts turned inward because of the fall, we just refocused that worship to self. We turned our worship to lesser things. The Bible speaks that those who that, that make carved images and idols, they're wooden, they, they don't have ears to hear, they don't have eyes to see, and those who worship them are just like them. See, we're all, we've been made to worship. And that song does such a phenomenal job of speaking and, and stirring up in us that we are to beholding Him. Behold Him. The One who's worthy. We're going to be talking about that today. I'm so excited to be in this series this, this series has, it's a, a, a basically a vision series specifically to our discipleship pathway. And it's been on our schedule for a while, uh, kind of in pencil, and the, the, you know, the middle wasn't really filled in exactly. And as clarity came in, in the direction of this sermon uh, among the elders, the excitement has built clarity around vision and really seeing our discipleship pathway uh, be laid forth in, a, I think, a very clear, very succinct way. Uh, we are, we're just thrilled to death to be laying out this vision for discipleship. You know, discipleship uh, is, has been happening, and when I say discipleship, where we're talking about uh, the, the process of individuals growing in their pursuit of Jesus, normally in small groups of individuals, typically men, typically women, separately. Um, and that has been taking place at point in a more organic way. So it's just kind of been springing up naturally. Somebody says, hey, I really, I'm going to go through the study. Would you like to come with me? And it's happening, and praise the Lord for that. But as your pastors, and, and again, as you've heard me mention before, as a church, there is, a, there is a revolving door, right, that, that we encounter. And we praise God for that revolving door. Because it, it means that we get to interface with so many men and women and children. Uh, for, for a small church of our size, for a young church, uh, you know, in our age, we get, to in, we get to encounter so many folks. But with that comes a necessity for us to have a very clear, succinct, 
pathway. And I use, we use the word, you'll hear us use the word pathway, it's very, it's, it's very intentional because a lot of times, and maybe you've come from a church or been a part of a church in which it was more of a menu, right? So you kind of, you know, think about Applebee's, right? How overwhelming, not speaking about your church's menu, just the, the restaurant menu, how overwhelming is that menu? I mean, it's, there's a lot going on. You could go Italian, you could go American, burger, grilled cheese, chicken tendies, um, right? But then you go to a different kind of restaurant, right? And it's like, here's your meat, here's your potatoes, here's your greens. You may can add a dessert if you'd like. And part of the reason that we've settled on a pathway is because, for one, to operate based on menu where we've got, let's call it 15 different menu options of discipleship here, there, and everywhere, that means that we've got to be doing that thing 15 times over. And, and here's the, we don't have space midweek. I mean, there's a lot of logistical challenges to operating in that manner as a church. So we're, we're a simple church. We have to be a simple church. And the, the, the win and the, the, the strength of the pathway is that, hey, we meet you. You're in year two of your time at Fort Liberty. And we say, hey, great to have you. Here is our pathway. Come lock arms with us. Join us as we walk down this way, faithfully seeking to know Jesus and make him known. Right? To be disciples who make disciples. And so I was challenged a couple weeks ago in, in a personal conversation and uh, through a podcast. And the, the question that I was asked literally two days in a row was, can your church articulate your discipleship pathway? And I said, oh, man, I, like, it's happening. I can't necessarily tell you, but I know when I see it. But we want to do better. We want to do better because the clearer that it is from leadership, the clearer it is for those that are coming in our doors. So if you are a longtime point person, or if you are brand new to point, we're all going to walk out with an understanding, at least a, a, a basic understanding of our discipleship pathway. So I'll give you the three. The next three weeks, we're going to cover a, a gospel foundation. We're going to look at, at gospel rhythms in life, everyday life, and then gospel proclamation. Okay, so today, don't worry, I'm not preaching all those today. We're just preaching on gospel foundation because Every disciple, if, you, if you're going to be a disciple who reproduces yourself and makes a disciple, you must have a foundation in the gospel. Say, Corey, well, yeah, I know what the gospel is, right? I, I, I think. But to truly be disciples, as a church, as a culture, as an organization, to truly be disciples who make disciples, we must have a foundation that's built on the whole gospel. And you're going to see why I emphasize the whole gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
And so there's, there may be this question. I mean, if you're, if you're at point on any given Sunday, you hear the word gospel a lot. And we might say things like gospel change or we'll say we're being transformed by the power of the gospel. Or we're talking about proclaiming the gospel or the implications, the good news. Like what is the gospel exactly? And this is why we need a foundation. This is where it comes in. So regardless of your church experience in the past, we today, and in, in over the process of us really rolling out this pathway, we can all kind of get on the same page on what this gospel foundation is. And if you're familiar with it, then you just be encouraged and, and you press in. And if it's brand new, then I'd encourage you to also, even though it might feel a little wonky, press in. Amen? Amen. So, the gospel, it is the power of God. For salvation. But Corey, how does that I get salvation? I understand that. I, I, there, I heard somebody told me about my sin and somebody told me that God had this incredibly perfect plan in which he would crush his only son for my sin. And he died and he was buried and he was resurrected and then he ascended. Like I, I understand, like that is the proclamation that I made, I have been saved. And to that I say, praise God. But the follow-up question may be, but I don't understand how that necessarily connects to how I break my sin cycles. I don't understand how that applies to my anger issues or to my marriage. Because that's the stuff that saved me back then. But what about like today? And if that resonates with you, I know it resonates with me. Man, I, I'm, I'm encouraging you to listen intently. Intently. Because see, for many, many years, so if you don't know my story, I grew up the son of a preacher in church all my life. Never even like had a problem with it. Was in it, enjoyed it, loved it, came to faith at an early age. But for many, 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 many years, the gospel was just the thing that, that broke into my life at a young age and helped me understand my need for salvation. It, it, was, the, it was the good news of Jesus that, that I was able to cling to and profess, believe in my heart and profess with my mouth that that has changed me. And then I was baptized and it was able to, to make that public declaration that Jesus has changed my life. But for many years after that, I encountered difficult sin patterns that are, I think, common to all of us and just felt like I was in a washer machine just over and over. You know, you know when those jeans ball up in the, in the dryer and it's like, doo, 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 doo. I mean, that felt like my Christian life. And it felt like sometimes I would get a little momentum and it's like, yeah, this is good. And wham, down for the count. Oh, the shame. Oh, the pain. Well, I, 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 wanna, I just want to confess. I know I need to confess my sin, but I, I, I don't want to do it too quick. Because then it might come across to the Lord as disingenuous. But I don't want to wait too long. Lord, just, just don't let me do it tomorrow. Wham! Again, again, and again, and again. See, my encouragement to us today, family, is that the gospel 
is much bigger than many of our theologies allow it to be. Our, the gospel is actually more powerful than we often kind of uh, functionally operate it to be. So we're looking at, at really three aspects of the power of the gospel. All right, And so the first aspect of the gospel that we're going to look at is that we are saved from the penalty of sin. The second aspect is that we are being saved from the power of sin. And the third is that we will be saved from the presence of sin. And so as we navigate these, these aspects of the gospel, I'm just encouraging you to press in, listen up. If there's one that's really familiar, praise God. But those that you're not, I want you to really, I mean, take notes. I can send you my, my notes. They're not great, but I can send them to you. We'll, we'll try to get some resources out this week. But please, family, this, understanding the fullness of the gospel absolutely changed my Christian life. And I'm praying the same for you. Hey, let's pray. Lord, we need you to move. God, we need you. We need you to illuminate the text of Scripture. God, make familiar texts just pop off the page with a new, um, just with a uh, with renewal, Lord. I pray as we talk about familiar language around the gospel, penalty of sin, and uh, and power, and 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 the presence of sin, Lord. I just I pray that. Uh, you would captivate our hearts, not because of my, <laughs> my dynamic speaking, but just because of the glorious power of the good news of Jesus. And Lord, my goal, my desire, my prayer for our church is that across the board, from children to adults, Lord, that we would grow in our, our fullness of the gospel, but not just intellectually, but God, that we would that it would burst into our hearts and, and break in in places that it's never broken in before, and that we would experience true transformation, true change from one degree of glory to the next into the image of Christ. Oh God, would it be so? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so listen, we don't have one central text. We are going all over the place. I've got some of the key scriptures on the screen. Miss Nancy's going to attempt to keep up, but I would just challenge you to try to write down. And, and hey, if you, need, if you need me to slow down or, or repeat something, let me know. All right, so the first aspect of the gospel is that we are saved from the penalty of sin. Now, this one's familiar, and quite honestly, I think this is probably uh, traditionally, especially in our culture and time, where the gospel is often presented in different evangelism strategies. Uh, I know for me personally, this was how the gospel was presented to me when I repented and believed. It was very much like, hey, Corey, uh, you understand, like, you know, we're full of sin, right? This is the childhood Corey. And I'm like, yep, Okay. And that like that sin actually demands that, that, that we, we have broken, we have, we're, we're rebels against God and that we stand in judgment 
before God condemned because of our sin. It's like, man, this, this does not sound good. But, but there's hope. The good news is that we can actually repent of our sins. That we, can, we can say, Lord, like, forgive me. I recognize that I am, I'm a sinner, that I, I am falling short of your standard, of your rule, of your law, and that I am in desperate need to be changed. And the gospel that was presented to me at a very young age was, and if you just pray, like pray this prayer, and it was genuine, and it was heartfelt, but it was all about escaping the penalty of sin. And praise God by His goodness in God's sovereignty and salvation. One of the aspects of the good news of Jesus is that we evade the penalty of our sin by the power of Jesus. Right? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Romans 5 says this in verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, this, the, there's, there's a big word for this idea of, of being saved from the penalty of our sin, and that is justification, that we're actually being, we've been made right before God. And it is, it is a necessary part of the gospel that we need to understand and proclaim to our friends, our family, our children, our neighbors, our coworkers. Because this aspect, this, this aspect of the gospel helps us understand our standing before God. And it's important, it's important because I, I'm going to tell you, if you're a new Christian, you might not have experienced this, but if you've been a Christian for a few days, um, there's going to be a time where you don't feel very saved. Like, you're like, man, I messed up so bad last week. There is no chance that that salvation really took. Anybody? I mean, listen, hey, I'm going to be really honest. I'm, I'll ask you guys to be honest. Anybody felt that way? Maybe you're feeling that way right now. But here's, here's why this aspect of the gospel is so important for us to understand, not just for our salvation, but for our, for our growing and maturing in Christ, is that we, we are banking, we are putting our faith that this justification, that when the Bible says that we've been saved from the wrath of God and that we have been justified or made right, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 10 says that we're, be, that we're being spared from the wrath to come. What that is saying is that when we repent and believe on Jesus, that we are putting and banking all of our hope that we are truly indeed justified. And when the Scripture say, believer, you are now justified, not by your works, right? But by your faith that it is true and it's continuing to be true. There will be times where you are struggling and you need to be rooted 
Even on a hard day, even a day where it feels like a battle, but you're going, I know what the enemy's saying. I had a conversation this week. Somebody texted me and said, man, I'm struggling. The, the, the enemy is, is zinging lies. But see, when we're grounded in the full gospel, we can combat the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. Can, do you hear me? The, the, how important this is, not just for head knowledge, but for real transformation and battling in this life of faith. Such a glorious truth. Well, what is this penalty that we're talking about? Romans 6 tells, tells us that we deserve death. Just the wages, what we earn is absolute death and separation from God. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God, dead in our sin, and cast away to a fiery place separated from God called hell. And that is according to the Scriptures. But listen to this in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which with He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we're made alive together with Christ. So not only have we been saved, so we had wages that deserved death, but Christ in His rich mercy, He's given us life. He's given us life together with Christ. This is so much more than just, anybody ever heard of like your get out of hell pass? Or, or some, some even like kind of cutesy, Cheesy, call it like fire insurance. You ever heard of that? The gospel is so much bigger and more than just fire insurance. It absolutely is that. We just have read multiple scriptures that affirm that. But family, hear me. It's so much more. It's so much bigger. Even as we think about our justification Think about it's it's we have been spared from our penalty like Jesus took our place. I mean, we were literally dead to rights in front of the judge and Jesus slides us aside and says, I'll take his punishment. But it doesn't stop there because we know that this saving, this salvation served a purpose. And what was that purpose? But it was to it was to right what went wrong in the garden. Remember? Remember what transpired? Everything was good, right, and perfect in the garden. They had a perfectly right relationship with the one true God. They had a perfectly harmonious and right relationship with one to another. But in step sin, right? And immediately, immediately, they're, they're, they're full of sin. Their hearts turn inward. They become rebels, enemies of God. But see, here's the thing, is that their created purpose in life has not changed. What were they created for? They were created, as I said earlier, to be worshipers, right? And they were created with a command, what we, we see in Genesis, what I would consider the, the first great commission, to be fruitful and multiply. So here's the thing, even, even when we have just been saved and we have just escaped the penalty of our sin, I need you to understand that it's for the purpose of you fulfilling your created identity and purpose as a human being. And so don't just stop at justification. Praise God for it. We need to cling to it. We need to preach it to one another when we're feeling like we're not justified or that we're somehow failing as a follower of Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, don't stop at just justification. 
Because even in that, it was to write us back before God in order that we can operate as true worshipers, not as false worshipers, and fulfill our purpose to be fruitful and multiply. Hey, you know what another way of saying be fruitful and multiply? Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I, Jesus, have commanded them. You see, the entire intent of God's design is that His people, image bearers, the pinnacle of His creation, human beings, man and woman, are to be true worshipers of God, being fruitful and multiplying other worshipers. Biologically, yes, absolutely. But in relationships at work, yep. On the ball field, absolutely. On the mountain bike, you betcha. In the hunting club, for sure. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. So, what happens... What happens if we only understand our salvation just in light of our justification? Then essentially what it does is it kind of serves as a time stamp. All right, hey, I, I, I punched my justification ticket back in like 19, I don't know, 94. All right, and that's like the seal on my like, you know, hey, you, you, you're now in Jesus. Great. Praise the Lord. Right? Amen. But if it's just about our justification and stops there, then what's the rest of the Christian life? How are we supposed to fulfill the rest of our life being worshipers who are being fruitful and multiplying? Man, I'm really glad y'all asked that question. That was very perceptive of you. Listen, we, we must be grounded in understanding that we are saved from the penalty of sin. That we have been justified before God. The practical application of this and, the, and how this works out is a friend of ours. Well, I say a friend. I, don't, I met him once. I don't know him. But we're, we're leaning on his uh, organization, his church, uh, their material a lot in our discipleship process. Jeff Vanderstelt, he says this, that becoming a confessional people is a part of our practice. How we operationalize understanding that we have been saved from the penalty of God, from the penalty of our sin. He says that we should be a confessional people believing, right? Right belief, right? Believing and then confessing with our mouth. So belief and confession, that a confessional people that we at Point Church, when we come here on Sundays, we're, we're coming individually, but we're coming corporately and we're functionally in public. We're believing with our hearts and we're confessing with our mouth. And in our missional communities, when we gather in homes, hey, we're coming together and we're, we're, we're believing in our hearts that God's justification is real, it's true, it's binding, it's not going anywhere, but we're confessing with our mouth that it's good news to me, even when it doesn't feel like good news. Or it's good news to Betty when she's really down and she needs to hear it, right? We become a confessional people. We must be grounded in our justification to combat the attacks of the enemy but also to drive us to our created purpose and identity. Amen? All right, second aspect. We are not only saved from the penalty of sin, but we are being saved from the power of sin. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'll just add a, a, a text from Romans 8. We just preached this not too long ago, so it should be familiar. Romans 8, verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to His purpose, verse 29, for those whom He foreknew, listen to this, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, we're being saved from the power of sin. The big word here, kind of the uh, theology word, if you will, is sanctification, right? Where we're actually being set apart as holy before the Lord. We're, we're being set up apart from those that are not holy, right? Not necessarily spatially, but by our fruit, by our allegiance, by our worship. A word I like to use is transformation, that we're being changed. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, it, Paul tells us that from one degree of glory, I'm so encouraged by that because so many of us want change. Like, we, you know, we want to be like all the way immediately. Anybody? Anybody a little bit impatient? A little bit discouraged when it's like, man, I just, I feel like I just haven't done enough, right? I, I'm just, I don't know if I'm performing at peak level. I don't know if I'm being transformed to, to the degree that I can, but I'm so encouraged by the way that Paul speaks about this, that we're being changed. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. I'd, I'd commend slow, faithful plotting in Christ. John Piper talks a lot about, um, that there's a, a dis, it was a little devotional that I read years and years ago, and it talks about um, Basically, cardiac believers versus coronary believers. And that cardiac notion was that, hey, it's like, you know, like almost like a heart attack, like these quick spurts of, of high energy, high output, and then, and then you're exhausted and you're down further than you were versus a coronary Christian being like a heart. The faithful tempo of the heart organ beating consistently Really good days, beating the same. Really bad days, beating the same. I'd encourage you to think about your Christian life in understanding and, and having, a, having a category for being transformed from one degree of glory. It's not settling, but it's just helping you understand that, that the, you have an entire life to live for the Lord to change and produce in you what He desires. And it's okay to trust him in that. He's better at it than you are, right? So we're being transformed. In that Romans 8 passage tells us that, that those he predestined or those that he set his love on, uh, they're being conformed to the image of Christ. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So there's this, there's this connection to our identity in Jesus as he being our older brother because the father is now our father. And it says that in order for him to be the firstborn 
among many brothers. And let's follow our older brother, Christ. Let's, you know, like a little kid, like let you try to do the footsteps, trying to stay in pace with Christ, walking in His way, in His timing, in accordance to His Word. This is what it looks like for us to be saved from the power of sin because we're told that, that it's the power that resurrected Christ from the dead that we now have. And, and as a friend uh, from Arkansas would say, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. Yeah, y'all like that. Remember that. If this, like, this is good news, that the power that raised Christ from the dead is in you to transform you and change you and keep you from one degree of glory to another through the image of Christ. God's plan for salvation and sanctification is so much bigger than we often ever even acknowledge. Because many times we're over here just living it like, hey, I was justified and I don't really know what to do now. But instead, we actually get to press in to conquering the power of sin. Now, what this does not mean is that, uh, that we get, as we get transformed, that the, the flesh in the sin that's in us is becoming less. Because quite honestly, Paul tells us in Romans 7 that it's there. And it's not going anywhere. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Like, like what, who will save me from this, this flesh, this battle that I'm waging in myself? Praise be to God. Though my flesh wants to fulfill the flesh, that in my, my heart, in my mind, it's the Spirit to want to please the Lord. Amen? And it's good news. This is good news because... <laughs> I don't know about you, but it can be discouraging when you've been a believer for so long and you realize how far you still have to go. Like, man, how could I have been saved for so long and still be so sinful? Because none of that's going away. But what we are able to do is we're able to have victory over the way that sin controls us. And it changes our affection the desires of our heart, the priorities uh, of our life begin to shift as we yield to Jesus. So what I want us to understand is, is that we are being sanctified. We're being set apart. Praise the Lord for that incredible truth. But we must understand how sin works so that we can understand how to combat sin. I want you to listen to this. This is Charles Spurgeon. He says, For a saint to doubt God's word for a saint to distrust God after immeasurable instances of his love, after 10,000 proofs of his mercy, exceeds everything. In a saint, moreover, unbelief is the root of other sin. What I want us to understand, the way that sin operates, at the root of every sin, is our unbelief. Corey, how do you know that? Well, listen, at the garden... We'll go to <laughs> example numero uno. What transpired? What did Adam and Eve know about God? That he was good, right, and perfect? That had, had he ever failed them? No? Was there any, any remote way that he had kind of fallen short? No. But what did the enemy, how did the enemy tempt? Hey, you could, surely you can eat of that fruit. 
You see, God, see, like if you eat of this fruit, you can actually be like God. And that, my friend, was the seed of unbelief that was planted. Because Adam and Eve are sitting there going, you know, we, we know everything about God. Like, we're with Him all the time. We know that we're not to eat of this fruit. But, Satan's saying that we could actually be like Him. Like we could be God. The, the seed, the question there was, is there something actually good apart from God? Does that question resonate in you? It sure resonates in me. Because at the root of all of my sin is that question. Is there actually something good apart from God? I know that God has told me to be the man of one wife and, and to enjoy the wife of my youth and, and to be loyal and because ultimately this whole thing is to preach the gospel. But is there actually something like, could this other relationship, could this other person be, be some kind of a good that's like apart from God? Man, if I just work this many more hours in order that I can achieve this much overtime, that way I can purchase this blank thing, I will like, I'll be living. Because see, at the root of that is like, if, like, Maybe, just maybe, if I have this thing, if I have X amount in my bank account and I have this thing parked in my driveway, then maybe there will be good apart from God. Let, let us hit us where we all live. You're stressed to the max, full of angst, worry, things that most of us probably experience regularly. What are we believing about God in those, in those worries, in those angsty moments? Man, if God would just do this. If I was God, I would provide here. That way we know that we can be, that we're set, we're good, we're taken care of. Man, if there was, if, I, if God would just be a little more loving in this moment. You see, at the root of our sin is unbelief, doubt that God is really who He says He is. And that He's going to do truly what He said He'll do. And that we are indeed the people that He tells us we are because of Jesus. So let me, let me give you, I'm going to send this out. It's a little exercise called Fruit to Root. This is not my creation. I don't know who created it. Somebody way smarter than me, okay? Just me giving credit to somebody. Our friend Jeff Vanderstelt was telling this story about his wife struggling with anxiety around something to do with the kids. I can't remember, and it doesn't matter. And she's really stressed, and he says, hey, let's take a look. Imagine there's like a tree here, okay? Imagine me as a tree, right? Got it? Uh, and the fruit that she's bearing in her life in this moment is anxiety, it's stress, it's worry. And so the, the exercise is, hey, let's look at the fruit that we're bearing right now, that our behaviors and our belief is bearing right now, and let's work down and find what's underneath of it. 
And so he begins to ask this question. So identify the fruit. Well, I'm worried, I'm stressed, all these things. And then the question is, uh, who, who am I? Like he says this to his wife, like, who are you in this situation? Well, I, I feel really panicky. I feel really out of control. Like I need to figure out how to get control of this situation. And why is that? What, like, what has God done? Well, it seems that he hasn't done anything in this situation. It seems like there's no way that he's actually even moved. I don't even know if he's present right now. I don't know that he's loving. Well, who's God? Like, well, he seems distant right now. But then the wife, because she's rooted in her justification and she understands the power of the gospel, she says, but I know that's not true. Anybody been there? Where you've said the hard thing in prayer or in accountability or in a quiet conversation with your spouse and you say hard things, but you say, I know that's not true. Vanderself says, praise God, that's, that's called repentance. But a lot of times we don't take it to the next level of right belief. So then he asks those same questions, but in reverse order. So the wife says, I know none of this is really true about God, but that's how I'm feeling right now. Repentance. God, I know I'm wrong. Like, I know I'm off the mark here, but this is how I'm feeling. And so he asks these same questions. Who is God, according to the Bible? Well, I know God. He is sovereign. He, he rules over all things. He holds me in his hand. That, that there's nothing. Like, that, 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 that he won't let anything separate us from him, Right? Well, what has he done? Well, he, I mean, he's given us his son. He's, he's, he's encouraged, like he's, he's given us his spirit to keep us, to direct us, to lead us, to guide us. He's given us all these promises to assure us that we're cared for, that we're loved. Well, who, like, who are you in this situation? I am a, I'm a child of God. I am cared for. I'm loved. I'm living in light of what God has done. And then the result was identifying the fruit that she was then bearing and moved from worry and anxiety and sadness to joy, love, peace, the fruit of the Spirit. You see, a common thing, many of us in this room could, could like, that is our life every day. And a lot of times we just live there we just live in that, that, that angst. We live in that, that sadness or that depression and those, those, those challenging moments. And they're real. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But what I want you to understand is that because we have been given power over, the, uh, the, over sin, that we have the ability to combat unbelief that produces so much of the negative behavior, the negative fruit in our life, we can combat it with the truth of God. Amen? But what this requires, family, is us to be students of God's truth. And for it to move from our head to our heart to our hands. Right? So, like, it changes us here. Like, it, you know, we get it here, it changes us here, and then we work it out. You see, practically... The practice, what do we do as we're being grounded in this truth that we're being saved from the power of sin is that we get to repent of our sins and unbelief and obey. So this is where 
they, the practice of repentance and obedience comes into play daily. I mean, I'm talking daily, moment by moment. In the morning when you wake up and the first thought in your mind is, oh God, I don't know how we're going to pay for blank. Let me get up, go to the computer, let's see if maybe, maybe there's some money in that account over there. What do we do? We jump to action. We jump to let's figure it out. Anybody with me? I'm there all day long, right? But rather, pause. Go to the Lord. Acknowledge your need. Acknowledge your unbelief that like, it feels like, Lord, like God, you're, you're not nearby. I really need you to come through right this second and be able to apply the glorious truths of the gospel to this situation. Hey, does, does it miraculously change? Maybe not. Does it sometimes? Yeah, I've seen it. Is he good when the money doesn't come through? You better believe it. Say, Corey, I don't know if I can do that. You're right. I'm gl- yes, we cannot do this well on our own. That's why we need one another. God has saved us to the family of God so that I can be pouring out my struggles and you can be speaking the truths. I'll get a phone call from my dad sometimes going, hey, listen, I need help like believing the gospel right now. Okay, great. I don't, I, don't tell me anything else. Let's go. And just begin to rehearse and, and, and go back to being a, a believing people and a confessing people. And sometimes that confession isn't for me. Sometimes it's from my brother and sister. I need you to be a believing, confessing person. You need me to be a believing and a confessing person. And all together, we move forward, repenting of our unbelief, repenting of our sins, and walking forward in obedience. Amen? And the last, the last power and aspect of the gospel is that we will be saved. So you notice there's tenses We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved currently from the power of sin and that we will be saved future from the presence of sin. So this is speaking to like end times, right? This is speaking to the return of Christ. The the, the work's already done. It's been completed, but we are just waiting for the fullness of that work to to be our experience. Amen? Amen. Because right now, we've got the power of the Spirit. We're able to be transformed by the gospel. But the presence of sin is still a reality in our lives. And it will be until the return of Jesus. And so this, this causes us to take eyes and look beyond our life and our circumstances right now. This takes us beyond, like so Paul having, having the, uh, the affliction, whatever that was in him, that bodily affliction that he just could not shake, that thorn in his flesh. And, and, and so he endured it, was never healed from it that we know of, but he was always looking forward to the time in which the presence of sin would be gone. Amen? And for us as the people of God, as we wrestle and as the days grow long and as the days seem dark, we take hope and encouragement as we look forward to the day in which the presence of sin is gone. Listen to this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Hey, you got that? Not on earth. Yeah, we're citizens of a place. Praise the Lord. We're glad for it. But our citizenships that will endure forever is in a place called heaven. It is where God is. 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Translation, we will be transformed. There will be a time in which these bodies that have been marred by sin, these bodies that have been marred physically, emotionally, one day they're gone. There will be a bodily resurrection. We are banking on a resurrection. Romans 6 tells us that just as surely as Jesus resurrected, we too will also be resurrected with Christ. Amen? We are banking on a future hope that we will be resurrected. And that the power, the presence of sin will be no more. So Revelation 21 tells us that, And I heard a loud voice from the throng saying, Behold, like the song, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God, and He'll wipe away their tears from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Hallelujah. One day, all the pain, all the tears, all the suffering will be gone. We anticipate that. This truth holds us in our bitter, in our bitter battle with sin. It holds us. This truth holds us in our bitter battle with cancer or with, with great sadness uh, all over our globe, if you turn the news on, like it is so sad and so hard to go, like, what, like, w- how is this happening? What's going to happen? And this is what we know. Behold, the one seated on the throne will make all things new. We bank on it. We join with the, the saints from uh, Hebrews chapter 11 who, who were looking for that, they were looking for home, right? But not where they had come from, but that place in which Jesus was the founder and perfecter. They're looking for their eternal home with the kingdom of God. And it says that, that many of them did not receive because why? So that because they, it, God's design is that all of us would receive together the fullness of Christ at his return. So there's this connection to us, to saints who've lived hundreds and thousands of years ahead of us, that all of our hope is the same, that one day we'll resurrect with the Christ. Amen? One day. And this holds us. This holds us. So what's the practice? How does this work out functionally? It's we display the coming of the kingdom, the lives that we live as the people of God, the way that we function as a church, the way that we love one another, of, uh, believer to believer, the way that we care for the world around us, the way that we declare the gospel, all of it is us declaring and displaying what the kingdom of God is like. But also, we declare that Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And so, in, in this future hope, and as we're banking on this aspect of the gospel, that we will one day be saved from the presence of sin, for us who are in Jesus, we get to live today, like, like September 3rd, 2023. We get to live today under the rule and reign of the King of Kings. And what, what that does 
is that demonstrates and that displays to my neighbors and to my coworkers and to my children what the kingdom of God looks like. So remember, a lot of times we talk about doing the kingdom work. Praise the God, praise the Lord. The kingdom is established. It is perfect in heaven according to Jesus, but we're praying that it would be so on earth. And how does that happen? By all of us as the people of God coming under the rule of Christ together and allowing him to be the king of kings that sits on the throne and leads us and guides us and tells us how to move and when to move. The people of God in Israel, when they were in the desert, remember what God gave them in his spirit. He gave them a pillar of fire, right, and a big old cloud. And what happened when that pillar picked up? What did the people of God do? They moved and they walked. And when that pillar sat down, what did the people of God do? They plopped down. We, today, in 2023, we want to be the people of God that obey what God says. We do what He says do. We don't do what He says don't do. Because we're displaying what the kingdom looks like. And so, now... Now that we've spent a long, long time talking about these three aspects of the gospel, you say, Corey, what do we do with all this? Well, if you're not a believer today, if you are not a Christian in the room today, my appeal to you, friend, hear me. Today is the day to repent of your sin, to, to say, I am, I am not worthy of, of ruling and, and, and being in charge of my own life. I need the Lord Jesus to be my king and to forgive me of my sins. That is your response today if you're not in Christ. But believer in the room, two questions. One, which one of these aspects of the gospel most resonates or is most familiar to you? Is it you've been saved from the penalty of sin? Is it you're being saved from the power of sin? Or is it you will be saved from the presence of sin. And then I would follow that up by saying, dwell, pray, study these other aspects that you're not as familiar with. Because what that's going to do is that's going to make your gospel knowledge and understanding become more well-rounded and balanced. Because if we're just banking on justification, then we're not whipping our sin, right? We're not living in hope of future glory. And if we're just living to future glory, then we're potentially not really giving a, 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 you know, we're not living faithfully in the present. We're kind of just hiding out and studying Revelation. But we need to be a people that are confessional. We need to be a people that are repenting and believing. And we need to be a public people that are displaying and declaring that Jesus is the King of the kingdom and calling people to it. Amen? Amen. Hey, I want to pray for us. And then, we'll, uh, band, if y'all want to come on up. Lord, the goodness of your gospel is so big, it's so deep, it's so wide. I mean, I've just scraped a surface. But we thank you. We thank you for the saints that, that went ahead of us. That lived out this faithful life founded on the gospel even before some of the aspects of the gospel were even completed, they were faithful because ultimately you're faithful. 
And I just pray now and in, in, in this year, in this day, in this local expression of the church, oh God, would you please, would you absolutely overwhelm our hearts and minds with the power of the gospel? Lord, I pray for my, my brothers and sisters that struggle with, with sin and shame. God, would they cling to their justification? Lord, I pray for my brother or sister that, that struggle to, to ever overcome sin. Would today be the day in which they understand how to be transformed through the power of the resurrected Christ from one degree of glory to another, they can be changed. And Lord, would you root all of our hearts firmly in the future hope that we anticipate in which that day will be where the Lord King Jesus wipes away all tears and takes away all suffering and is indeed making all things new. Lord, we anticipate that day. Lord, help us to be faithful now until we wait. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.